around the turn of the century, and I mean 2000, it's really weird to think about that, isn't it? Like to go, oh wow, that's, I'm old. Uh, I went to the Philippines with a team of people and I stayed with a family uh, who uh, owned several markets in the city, but he also owned a club. Like I'm talking that kind of a club, all right? So uh, he tells me when we get there, and we knew some of the people we'd be staying with may or may not be Christ followers, all that different stuff. And so we end up, and he's like, I'm going to take you to my club sometime while you're here. And I was like, cool, whatever, man. I'm fine with that. And so a couple days in, he ends up going, hey, let's go. I'm like, where are we going? And it was club time. So we walked out of the market. He lived in, his, his place was above a market. We walked down the street. And we show up and it's not, I thought, I was like, oh, it's gonna be this little, little club, hole in the wall kind of thing. No, there's like VIP line, there's a bouncer, like all the scenes from the movies that you can think of are, should be going through your head right now. Well, I'm with the guy who owns it and we're walking past all these people who are waiting in line. We are getting in past like that rope, you know, that thing, it's a real thing. It's a real rope, right? And he, he unclicks it and he lets us walk in. I'm like, I'm with him, I don't know what I'm doing here. We're going inside. We walk past clearly the normal people bar hangout space, the dance floor, the stage. We're walking past all of this stuff. I'm like, I'm with him. I'm not sure what I'm doing back here. We move to this other part of the club. Like if you're seeing the scene in your movie right now, that is exactly where we are walking. We walk past everything. There's these, these corner booths. There's these dudes in suits with sunglasses on inside. And I'm going, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. He's introducing me to all these different people. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, have you killed anyone? Am I shaking your hand? What's happening here? We sit down in this booth, all right? And these guys all just start asking questions about America and all these different things. And I'm sitting here going, I don't belong here. I have no reason to, why am I sitting here with all of these guys? This, if, I would probably be dead if I would made it this far on my own, right? So out of nowhere, I hear announced over a loudspeaker, we would like to welcome our American friends to the stage. And I was like, and my, the, guy, the guy who's our family host, he's like. <laughs> so we go, we're start, we start walking to the stage. And as we're walking up to the stage, we hear, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. You know, that's Roy Orbison, Pretty Woman, because that's what Americans sing. We sing Pretty Woman, and on the karaoke screen, they have put on pretty woman. And so we proceed to sing pretty woman in front of all of these people. The place is going crazy. Like they're going nuts. They are so happy. We're singing pretty woman. They're singing it. They're yelling it at the top of their lungs. So the song comes to an end. All right. And so then this other, uh, this, this server from the tables, she comes up to us with a stack of cups and goes, please, and sets them down in front of us. And I look back, and the guy who was our host, he's like, well, we did this thing when we were in the Philippines at some of the school assemblies we were doing. You know that whole cup thing, the... You know that thing? And then we sang this song. I'm not going to sing this song. Get over yourselves. I'm not doing that. But 
We did this at a club in the Philippines in front of all these people, and they're going crazy. And I'm like, how did I get here? Like, where am I? It was one of the craziest moments of my life. But if I had not been with him, the owner of the place, we would never have been where we were. And I, I was baffled at that experience. And why do I tell it to you on Resurrection Sunday? It's because we're in very similar situations. We are standing in places we should not be unless we're with the owner, unless we're with the king, unless we're with the one who has invited us in. And the resurrection is all about being invited in. And some of you have these blocks in your head or thoughts in your mind that God is doing everything he can to keep me out. The resurrection tells you you're wrong. And I know you like to walk with your thoughts about how you think God operates, but the resurrection introduces you to another way of thinking. And if all you're thinking is God is just trying to keep me out, he's trying to keep me out, he's trying to keep me out, you are listening to the wrong voice. This morning, the believer's excitement over the resurrection is not because of family meals and candy and eggs and chocolate and fancy clothes and yes, there will be a Jason tax, children, if there's Reese's in your hands, you will have to give me a portion on your way out. But still, we get excited about the resurrection because we have been let in when God had every reason to keep us out. Do you understand that? Do you understand if anyone had a reason to keep anyone out, God had every reason in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21, right after Jesus has triumphantly entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, not a war horse, on a peace offering, Jesus and the Pharisees have an interaction. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, all they loved to do was come at Jesus, questioning his authority, questioning who he was. And Jesus does the cool thing of telling them stories. I love that, he, you know, when you're in a disagreement with someone, just tell them a story. <laughs> just come up with one. Jesus's tactic is perfect in this moment. He tells the story of a landowner who, does, who builds a vineyard. He sets apart a wall around it. He puts a grape press in there and he builds a watchtower. And then it says that he leases the land to some farmers and leaves. Goes out of town, right? Well, the harvest comes. And so he, as the landowner, send some of his servants to go and collect his portion of the grapes. And these tenant farmers, I mean, it escalates so quickly. They, they, they attack one, they stone another, and they kill one. I'm like, seriously? Nobody was like, should we discuss this first with anyone? Should we talk about how we're gonna handle this? But they end up attacking one of the servants, stoning one of them, and killing one. Not just once, but twice. The owner of the land is like, I'm going to collect my portion of what I've set aside. Like, it's mine. And the, land, the tenants are like, well, let's just take him, them out and we won't give him his portion. Instead of sending more and more servants, the landowner says, well, I'll send my son. Surely they won't destroy my son. Surely they'll treat him differently. And you know what these turkeys do? They look at each other and they're like, hey, look, here comes the landowner's son. We kill him, we get everything out free, right? Like there's no one to inherit it, it'll be ours. So they do just that. They take the son, take him outside the vineyard and they kill him. 
And Jesus says, then the landowner returns. And he poses a question to the Pharisees. He says, what do you think that landowner's gonna do to those farmers? And the Pharisees are like, well, surely he better slaughter them and start over again. Give it to a new people who will give him his share. The story ends there. The religious leaders get really angry because they know Jesus is talking about them. And one of the things that's hilarious to me in this whole moment is they admit, we know he's talking about us. I can't stand that he's saying, we're the farmers that would kill the owner's son. Let's kill Jesus. Like nobody, nobody was like, oh yeah, I hear it now. I hear it, I hear it, I get, I, I hear it now, right? Nobody does that. But you hear their response. The religious leaders, I tell you this story. I tell you this story on a great day of celebration because the very thing that Jesus described about the vineyard happened, yet there was a very different result for you and for me. If you're reading through the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they describe in very few words. If you're reading, if you're just glossing over it, if you're just kind of flying through the Gospels, you may even miss it. But as Jesus is taking his last breath on the cross, there's a description of a curtain being torn in two. Mark 15 has it, Luke 23 has it. Very simple phrasing, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then it goes on to describing, you know, earth shattering earthquakes and rocks splitting open and tombs opening up. And so if you're just glossing over things, if you're kind of, eh, you may have even missed it. You've been like, earthquakes, rocks shaking, graves opening up, that's incredible. Truly, the most incredible moment is those few words, Matthew 27, then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. You'll be like, oh, earthquake, that's amazing. Rocks splitting in half, I know how hard that is. Nobody's really focusing in on a temple curtain being torn in two. We should. What is God doing as the veil tears? Was he, um, I, I like to think that he might have been, was he ripping up a contract? Was he like, oh, you guys have done it now. This is over. I gave you a chance. You're finished. You're done. I'm finished with you all. You did this. You're done. You're, I'm, I'm done. This is my way of saying I'm out. Good luck doing your thing but I'm done. That's what it could have meant. And maybe some of you, maybe you think that's how God deals with you. You had your shot. You've blown it. You've had every attempt to do things right, but you just don't. So I'm out. I'm finished. You had your chance. You killed my son, right? Some of you may think, You've had your chance, and it's done. The temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religious life. It was where animal sacrifices took place, and it was where worship, according to the law of Moses, took place. The scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, describe a giant veil separating the Holy of Holies, where God's presence on earth rested, from everything else. If you were to mention the curtain in Jerusalem, everybody knew what you were talking about. 
They knew you weren't talking about grandma's curtains, floral arrangements, hanging in a window. They knew if you were saying the curtain, they immediately thought separation. They knew what you were speaking of. The building of the temple was a clear picture that humankind was separated by sin and brokenness from a holy God. And once a year, just once, the high priest, the one who was set apart, would stand before this temple veil and pray to God that he had done everything that he was supposed to to not be struck dead to enter in. They put bells on his feet so that they could hear if he was still alive in there or not. Like, that's how intense this was. Once a year, this priest would go in through this curtain. Now, this curtain, I don't want you to think like, even just like a, a stage curtain or, or that, it was thicker than that. There are some who would suggest, historically, historical records would say that this temple curtain was 60 feet tall by 30 feet wide by four inches thick, okay? Now, if you know anything about curtains, and I do not, that's heavy. I don't know a lot about curtains, but I know this. If I wanna show my wife how strong I am, I have to cut a little slip. Like, if you're gonna tear your shirt, you gotta get it started with a little razor, right? Because I'm so weak, I can't tear a T-shirt from a collar with a regular shirt, a four inch thick curtain. Now there, there are stories and legends about this curtain that would suggest that if God himself didn't move this curtain, this priest wasn't getting in. This is not some, this is again, not grandma's curtains, not your curtain, not your blackout curtain that you have in your room that keeps out the sun. This is a curtain of all curtains and it is separating God from people. Knowing that these dimensions, no matter what you can think, no human could begin to rip this in half. But that at Christ's death, this veil is torn. You and I can see that Christ laying down his own life, not taking ours, Christ pouring out his blood, not asking or demanding ours, was enough once and for all. I am not, and I tell you this, I am not a conspiracy theorist. Some of y'all post some crazy conspiracy stuff on your Facebook pages, but I am not one, except for when it comes to technology, right? Like, I'm the guy who says, I bet that antivirus software program came out with the viruses that they say they alone can fix, right? Like, am I alone here? I don't think I am. I think many of you are probably like, yeah, that makes sense. Good job. That's a good observation. But when it comes to my phone, I have been paranoid that Apple has a scheme set aside to automatically update our phones to make them not work. So I was up one night Googling, does Apple mess with everybody's phones, all right? And one thing led to another and I came across the phrase, planned obsolescence. Have you ever heard of this phrase? I mean, it's interesting, okay? Planned obsolescence. I'll explain it to you like I'm five, because I, I like, I'm like, I need to know how it's explained to you as a five-year-old. The everlast, everlasting gobstopper cannot happen for a candy company. Do you know why? Because if it lasts forever, you won't go back to them and buy more candy, right? Businesses have this thing 
where they intentionally make sure that whatever you purchased from them has an end life, so you have to come back to them, right? I hate this. I hate it. I'm like, this should last forever. But it's a good sign that things are failing and breaking down. And so you can see it as a, as a, a pointer to life and all that stuff. But the fact that companies go, we have to plan so that people will come back over and over and over The truth is God's lesson with Israel, with the Old Testament and the sacrifices, it set in them a pattern of over and over and over. And this one's not gonna last. You're gonna have to come back again and sacrifice and worship in this way. And it's going to clear the way and your sins will be forgiven and you'll be restored. And you're gonna have to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And he did all this. So at just the right time, He could send Jesus to be our once and for all, it is finished, sacrifice. Christ died so that we can live once and for all. There is no more plan. There is no more, hey, you're going to have to come back and do this over and over and over, even coming to church on Sundays over. No, that's not what he did. It's once and for all. It is a finished work. Christ has let us in. The significance of the veil being torn is a removal of separation between people and God. God will never, ever, ever, ever again dwell in temples made by men. He will never, ever, ever demand a sacrifice from you, ever. He will never demand you do one thing better than, you know, you, you, you putting your performance on the, on the mantle and saying, God, you have to look at my performance. He will never ask you for your performance because the performance has already been done and it's not yours. It's Jesus's performance. So on that day, when we stand before God, we will not hold up our resume and go, God, I, uh, I sponsored a kid in Compassion International. I, uh, I dug a well. Now, actually, I didn't dig the well. I gave money for someone else to dig the well, but you get the point. It's the heart that matters, right? It's, it's the thought that counts. And then, oh, and then there was this other nice thing. That's not what he's gonna ask for. He will either see his son's reflection covering you, or he won't. It is by faith we have entered into this relationship with a holy God. The temple veil being torn, the temple system is destroyed. Like if the temple veil, and we were just talking about it during prayer, like one of, somebody was like, you know what? I bet there were seamstresses on the scene to try and start sewing that veil back together, right? Like they probably were like, oh no, veil's been torn. We should probably panic and we should probably sew this back because then the people are gonna be like, oh no, uh, what do we do? Can we go in? I I don't, Let's, let's sew it back like nothing is wrong. And if the veil being torn wasn't enough, The temple is destroyed completely in AD 70. God is done with those systems. He's not reinforcing keeping us out. He's reinforcing he's let us in. This is the power of a torn veil. Hebrews 10 says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy 
place. There's that word, the curtain. Matthew, Luke, and John all record a stone that sat in front of the tomb where Jesus' body was supposed to be laying, as Miss Becca said. When the women, what the women expected to find that day, they did not. I love, I love Mark's account. Listen to the words in Mark 16. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were, at, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You can hear what they expected to find. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Again, a torn veil, a moved stone. Why does this matter? Because rather than God showing us over and over again that he's keeping us out, which is our opinion, it is a self-destructive completely destroying view of God that we will walk with if we avoid the truth, if we avoid the scripture, if we avoid Jesus's words. God has shown us over and over that he has let us in. Because the veil is torn and we can now live in his presence, the stone had to be rolled away. Do you know why? Because if God is saying there is nothing that can separate us, death is that final barrier. The veil is torn, so the stone has to roll. Romans 8 says, neither life nor death can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The veil is torn, the stone has to roll. Every barrier has been removed. The stone rolling away announces that Jesus said forgiveness of sin is possible, and they weren't just words. They were true. Everything he said, every promise he made, every work he did was backed up by the power of God. And like Peter, you and I were left to wonder, could this be true? You and I have been let in on something by the stone being rolled away. Verse 20, uh, Luke chapter 24, however, Peter jumps up as the women have expressed, Jesus' body's not in there. We don't know where he is. And all the disciples are like, hooey. And Peter's like, Whoop. he goes for a run. He ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again wondering what had happened. I have no clue where you stand right now in your view of Jesus, of who God is, but I have been praying that you will go home and you will wonder about what happened. I have been praying this week that you will not be able to sleep because your wonder of is this true is gonna continue to stir. And I'm telling you why. Because if you, are, if you are able to see that it is true, it changes everything. Everything you do, every way you speak, every way you live, love, engage, why you even come to church changes because you believe the tomb is empty. As the band comes and we close our time this morning, if it was God's plan to close off access to him, 
because Jesus was crucified, he would have left the stone in front of the tomb. Can't you see it? Can't you see Jesus sitting in there going, I am not going back out there. I am not going back out there. Father, if you're bringing me home, you're gonna have to bring me through this thing carved out. I am not stepping back out there. You know what they did to me. You saw it. You saw what they did. If it was God's intention to reinforce the curtain, he would have reinforced it. He would have made it eight inches thick and he would have made it 80 feet wide and he would have made it 100 feet wide. It would have been more impossible to get to him, but he didn't. And some of you all have to wrestle with that because you like to think there is still a barrier between you and God. So you're just gonna walk as if there is. But if there's not, but if there's not, I beg you, as Peter looked in, peered in, and he went home and he wondered about this, that you will not let this wonder slip away. I know that we get all resurrection excited on Sundays and on Monday, we're back to it. My Facebook feed gets lit up. My Instagram feed gets lit up with he is risen, and then tomorrow it's back to conspiracy theories and hate-mongering, right? That's what we do. This cannot be true for just one day a year. If it changed everything, then it changes everything. That's the power of the resurrection. And my prayer has been this morning that you will not go home without wonder. Could this be true? God did not close us out. He welcomed us in. God planned this. God gave his life. A torn curtain and a rolled away stone means we have access through Jesus' work. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Right? He is that veil. The one, the priest that they used to have to walk through to get into the presence of God, same thing. By faith, we have taken that promise on. How will I respond to seeing barriers removed that we could not remove on our own? We're concluding our miracles journey this last month. This resurrection miracle proves them all. This resurrection miracle proves that Jesus is able to forgive sin. He is able to conquer death, the thing we fear the most. He is able to destroy the works of the enemy, and he is able to save. We sang the song this morning, Jesus, you're worthy of your name. Do you know what Jesus means? The Lord saves. Every time you say his name, you actually express what he has done. It's not a coincidence. And my prayer is this morning, a torn veil and a moved stone, you will know that God is not doing his best to keep you out, but he's done everything to let you in. Father, I ask that in these moments, somehow by your Holy Spirit, you would help us see what is true. And I thank you for Paul's words that if the resurrection isn't true, we close up shop. But thank you, God, it is.
Thank you that new life is possible. Where we thought death would reign, it was over, separation would be the final say, you've removed it. And it is through Christ's finished work on the cross, his resurrection and his eventual return, Lord, we get to wonder on that for the rest of our lives. And we get to rejoice in it for all eternity. We will give you all the praise. It's in your name we pray.